Hey, take your Bibles out and open them up to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, please, please grab one from under a seat in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one home with you after the service, our gift to you. Romans 15. We mentioned last week, again, now Paul, as he's started in chapter 12, taking us in this direction now for the remainder of the letter, that because of the amazing gift, you know, again, we just sing of this. We sing of the, 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 the eternal life that we have, the new life that we have. And because of that fact, we should live our lives in a way that reflect this amazing gift that we've been given. I think all of us would agree with that. And, and it's great that as Paul goes through the, the letters, he, t- he tells us, and he tells us in this part in Romans, that, that there is a way that we should live, and, and it should be markedly different than the life that we had before. And last week, as we got into chapter 14, we mentioned that there was, there was some division within the body. That there were some things that were coming between brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, and that should not be. That, 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 that shouldn't be. There, there shouldn't be fighting, especially over the silly, non-essential things. And Paul brought up a couple that were specific to that time, food, the dietary rules that they were arguing over, and Sabbath things. And we talked about the unique dynamic of the church at that time, bringing Jews that had grown up in in Jews following these laws, but then becoming born-again believers, realizing that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these things that that they had been looking. This was a shadow. He is the substance. Now embracing their new life in Jesus, and now kind of wrestling and working through that, mixed together with Gentiles coming from a pagan background where anything went. They could live however they wanted and however they desired to live. They could find a God for that and just live that way and coming to the true knowledge that there is only one true and living God. And he sent his son to die for them. And now, so they're coming into this in this mixture that was there. And bottom line, it, it comes down to that, that Jesus desires unity in the body of Christ, not uniformity. It's not like we're all mindless robots, all programmed the same way. We're going to talk quite a bit about that as we move through the text today. But unity, there should not be these things that divide us. And it goes way past food and Sabbath days. The kingdom of heaven, Paul says in chapter 14 there, it's not about that. It's about righteousness. It's about peace. It's about joy. It's about hope. And we are to pursue peace. We are to build one another up. We have enormous freedoms as Christians. We have been liberated as Christians. And Paul Paul lays this out. Look at verse 14 with me of chapter 14. He says, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. He said, I know this, that that I'm not bound to those things anymore. I have great freedom in Christ. But notice what the next word is. But. (laughs) Remember, if you've been around Calvary Chapel Surprise very long, that's a big word for me. But. That means even though that's the case, there's something else that's more important. Basically, what he's saying is it's not about me. And guys, if we could embrace that truth today. It's not about me. Yes, I have freedoms. Yes, I have rights. Yes, I have all of these things, but it's not about me. Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 5. You were called to freedom, brethren. Freedom. We have freedom. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, and that word is love, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. We are called to walk by the Spirit as born-again believers. Talking again about how we walk, 
how we live out our lives as Christians. Paul will tell us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, that we are to be careful how we walk. We are, to, we are to examine our individual walks. We are to be careful how we are walking. We are to walk by the Spirit, walking in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the things that should define our walk. Now, Paul continues this. Remember, there were no verses and chapters when Paul wrote the letter. The verse verse that we're going to start with today, chapter 15, verse 1, begins with the word now. So it ties it directly to what he's been saying. Now, verse, verse 1, chapter 15, we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good. And to his edification, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you, meaning the Father, fell on me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. Now, May the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He starts off this section we look at today again with the word now, trying it, tying it directly together with last week. And we talked about that. He mentioned that in chapter 14, that, that in the body of Christ, there are those that are stronger than others. And we, that we talked about the fact that that, is, that doesn't mean that, that, that you, have, you have more salvation than the other. No, we are all born again and saved the same way. It's talking about in the faith, in the body, some of us are further along in our walk. Some of us, if you perhaps would say, are more mature in our walk and in our relationship with the Lord. Now, I like this, how he starts this off. Now, we who are strong. I know in all of us right now, and I won't ask for a show of hands just because I don't want to make anybody lie because everybody else is raising their hand, but we're all going to lump ourselves in that, aren't we? We who are strong. We in the first service, right? We need to bear the weaknesses of those in the second service. Hmm. But let me ask this. We we all examining ourselves now, we who are strong. Do you know somebody who you could say, you know what? They should be further along in their walk than they are. They've been a Christian for a long time. They should be further along than they are. They should be stronger than they are. If that's your heart, let's jump back to verse 13 of chapter 14 again real quick. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, (laughs) but rather determine not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in another's way. That's Paul's heart again here in the Lord's heart as we continue beginning of chapter 15. We who are strong, it's not our job to look down on those who are weak. No, as a matter of fact, we have an obligation. And this word, it's interesting when we look at this because the word there, the Greek word strong is denatos. It literally means powerful, but it comes with the same root of a Greek word that if you've studied the Bible long enough, you come across all the time, dynamis, which means power. And we understand dynamis power as supernatural power, not power that we have within ourselves, not power that we can muster up within ourselves. As a matter of fact, that word power is used in verse 13 that we'll get to, Lord willing, today in chapter 15. Notice, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power, dynamis, of the Holy Spirit. Again, that power, supernatural power. So when he's speaking of us being strong, us being powerful, that is not something that we can boast in. It's not something natural. It's not something we bring to the table. As a matter of fact, the only way that we can become supernaturally powerful is when we put down all of the stuff that we could take pride in in our flesh. 
It's the only way that we can be truly filled with the Holy Spirit, truly have the power that Paul is talking about, those who are strong, that is when we put all of that stuff down. It does not come with, with age. It doesn't come with knowledge. It does not come with church membership. It comes seriously by dying to ourselves completely, putting ourselves, laying ourselves down. with We have nothing to boast in when it comes to this strength. But those of us who, who, again, get to that point in our walk where we, are, where we are strong in the Lord, where we have this stuff and we have this freedom and we understand these things, it is important that we understand the next word there, those who are strong ought. That word literally means that we are obligated, that we are indebted to do something. We are obligated as those who are strong to do something. The Greek word ophelo Ties with it, again, same root as ophelatos, which means debtor. <laughs> One who owes something. We who are strong have a responsibility. Have an obligation to bear, to pick up, to carry the weaknesses of those without strength. We talked of this last week, again, this whole idea that we are to accept, that we are to come alongside. Guys, it doesn't simply mean that we are to just tolerate each other. Those that are different than we are, those that come from a different background, those that have different, different things, those that are a little quirky, those that have differences. And again, we're going to get into, it's going to get into some deeper water here in a minute. We are not simply to tolerate one another. We who are strong have an obligation to come alongside those who are not as strong. As a matter of fact, and again, hopefully this sheds a little light on it because it sure did for me this week. That word without strength takes the word denatos, which means powerful, and puts an A in front of it. And if you know Greek at all or understand that, if you put an A in front of a word, that means absolutely without. The, one of the examples that a lot of people use when explaining that, gnosis. We talk about that word a lot. Gnosis being knowledge. You put an A in front of that, agnosis means without knowledge. And that's where we get the term agnostic. They're without knowledge. And God's heart is that all would come to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, right? They were without that knowledge that they would come, with, come to it. And when we look at this, when it says without strength, a donatos, understand that that word translated in the rest of the New Testament says impossible. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 6.18 uses this word, a donatos, to say that it is impossible for God to lie. Jesus uses this same word when he says with people it is impossible. Possible, but with God, all things are possible. Now, I don't know about you, but when I put those words in there, that changes everything to me. It says in verse 1 that, that we who by the grace of God and nothing of our own are further along in our walk and, and are, are filled with the Holy Spirit have an obligation to come alongside those who cannot pick up that load because it's impossible for them to in their current state and help carry it so that through that process they can realize okay you know what I need to put this down I need to deal with this Holy Spirit filling them so that they can get that strength we have an obligation as Christians as born-again believers, as those with that strength of the Spirit to come that are weaker and can't carry it. Paul takes it even to the next step in Galatians chapter 6. Even if anyone is caught in any trespass, in sin, you who are spiritual, you who have power, you who have strength, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Paul is saying when we do this, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. You want to boil it right down to its, its very essence, loving one another? What does that mean? We're seeing it right here. He tells us in verse 1, 
We who are strong are to bear the weakness of those without strength and not just please ourselves. And notice just is in italics. That means it's not in the original language. Not please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, his edification. For even Christ did not please himself. That word please used three times in our first three verses. It means to satisfy. Paul Using that term similarly in Philippians, you know, again, speaking of personal interests, our focus on that. And when we come to certain things like that, I love doing this in my own personal study, but it surely lays it all right out here for us. You know, the who, what, where, when, you know, asking those questions. Who? Who are we supposed to satisfy? Others, not ourselves. Their benefit, their edification. That word edification, same word used back up in verse 19 of chapter 14. They're building up. And remember, it told us last week, we're supposed to pursue that, not let it come to us. We're supposed to pursue that. So that's the who. Here's the big question, when? When are we supposed to put aside my satisfaction and focus on others? Well, Love it when the verbs tell us exactly that. Please, all three times, is used in the present active sense. That means always. Always. And when you put a not in front of it, like it is in verse 1, guess when we get to focus on ours? Never. (laughs) Don't you hate that? When it's just so plain right in front of us. Now, wait a second. Okay, you mean it's, I have, it's not just Sunday for an hour that I'm supposed to focus on you and the rest of the week's for me? Nope. Well, I know the question that would follow that if any of us are following through the logical pattern. Why? Verse 3 tells us that. For even Christ did not please himself. Jesus did it. That's why. He goes on, as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. Now, any student at that time would know, and we've talked of this before, especially Jewish students that were Bible students, whenever a portion of a scripture was quoted, they, they, they scripture memorization, they, they knew growing up, and they would automatically link that to the greater text that that quote was taken from. It's not just, just pulling out a, a verse or a little bit here or there. They would connect it entirely to that. And I think, guys, today the, God has a message for us, and it certainly has been for me as I've been studying through this this week. That I need us all to turn to Psalm 69, because that's where this is taken from. Psalm 69, keep your finger here, because we're going to come right back. We're going to go back and forth for a little bit. Psalm 69. Psalm 69 is what's referred to as a messianic psalm. Yes, David wrote it, but through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pointing ahead to the fulfillment ultimately in Jesus. Yes, David's writing it. David is feeling the emotion as he's writing it. However, it is pointing to the coming Messiah. Psalm 69, when you get it, say got it. All right. Beginning in verse 4. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. Those who would destroy me are powerful, being wrongfully my enemies. What I did not steal, I then have to restore. Jesus, obviously fully fulfilling this, those that hate him without a cause, he came to save the world and yet the world hated him. The world crucified him. Those who would destroy me are powerful, being wrongfully my enemies. The the world as his enemies, wrongfully. His creator came to his creation. What I did not steal, I then have to restore. Jesus went to the cross, guys, to restore. He He wasn't the guilty party. He wasn't the offender. Yet he took our sin upon himself. 
Oh God, it is you who knows my folly and my wrong. My wrongs are not hidden from you. This truth isn't hidden from God. The Father knew it. He sees it. He knows it all. May those who wait for you not be ashamed through me, O Lord God of hosts. May those who seek you not be dishonored through me, O God of Israel. Because for your sake, the Father's sake, I have borne reproach. Dishonor has covered my face. I have become estranged from my brothers and an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me. And here's our verse. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Interestingly, the first part of verse 9 in John chapter 2, verse 17, after Jesus in the, in the temple overturning the tables and everything, the disciples saw his passion for that, and it said that they realized that this verse in Psalm 69 was speaking of him. But here we see in the second half of this verse, Paul tells us that, it's, that this is speaking of him as well. Now, why, why do I bring us here? Why is this so important? Keep it here. We're going to come right back, but flip back to Romans 15. Verse 5, well, verse 4, it says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. Psalm 69, guys, was written for our instruction. It wasn't just something, we don't read the Psalms just to feel good. No, we need to read the Psalms to be instructed by them. And that's why Wednesday nights is so important. If, you, if, you, if you've never joined us on a Wednesday night, I would encourage you to. We go through the Old Testament verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book on Wednesday nights. Guys, the entire word of God, all of scripture is immensely valuable. Genesis to Revelation, not just the New Testament, all of scripture. It's incredibly valuable. It is absolutely relevant and it is totally applicable. I'm blown away every Wednesday night. We're going through Job right now. Every week, one thing after another, directly applying to my life and our lives today. But Paul tells us, all of this is written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, you might have hope. Now, may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. Guys, this is so important. The same mind with one another. Notice it is not, does not say the same mind as one another. We're going to get to that in verse 6. Verse 5 says we are to have the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. Perhaps a better word to use there would be toward one another. We are to have the same mind toward one another. What mind is that? Back to Psalm 69. The same mind that was in Christ Jesus. When verse 4 speaks of him, those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. Do you have people that hate you without a cause? Are you at a, at a crossroads with someone in your life right now and it's not your fault? Somebody's upset with you, somebody's angry with you, and you didn't do anything? Jesus understands. Those who would destroy me are powerful, being wrongfully my enemies. Again, I didn't do anything. You're my enemy. You're coming against me. What? I didn't do anything. Jesus understands. What I did not steal, I then have to restore. What that's telling me, guys, is those of us who are strong need to bear the weaknesses of those without strength, even though it's not your fault. Even though it's not because of you that this problem is here. You know what I have written in my margin? That's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair. But that's what we're called to do. Isn't that what verse 15, chapter 15, verse 1 tells us? Those who are, have, have strength. We, if, we, if, if we have strength, if God has brought us to this point in our Christian walk, in our walk with him, filled by the Holy Spirit, we need to understand that the problem with that other individual is they can't. It's impossible for them. And we could sit and say, well, they should be further along in their Christian walk than they are. Or we could say, you know what? What I did not steal, I then have to restore. Verse 5, oh God, it is you who knows my folly. You understand it. 
My wrongs are not hidden from you. This whole thing is wrong, and you know it. But he says, I do understand. I know. May those who wait for you not be ashamed through me. May those who seek you not be dishonored through me. Going back to last week, what we talked about, if I could paraphrase this, Lord, please don't let me be an obstacle in the growth of that person because I'm standing on my rights. Because I'm standing on, I don't, I don't need to do that. I don't have to do that. It's their problem. <laughs> oh, how could that be an obstacle? How could that be a stumbling block in that weaker brother? Again, when I look at this and I say, that's not fair, that's not right, all I have to go do is go down to verse 9, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. All of my sin, when I came against the Father in my defiant, sinful life, Jesus took it on himself. Talk about unfair. He's our example. And guys, when we hold, hold our personal situation up to that, Put it into perspective, the burden that we're asked to carry in chapter 15 doesn't sound as heavy anymore, does it? I have a question. What if we all left here today and did something about this? What if we all lived this? If every one of us, the strong ones in the first service... we actually own this. And, and we're going to get to the how in a second, right? Because I know you're sitting there and you're thinking, how? I, 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 okay, we'll get to that in a second. But I just want to challenge us right here, right now. What if we all did this? Can you imagine the difference that we could make? That, that Calvary Chapel surprise, first service, that we could make. Guys, when we're talking about power, real power has the right to act and to say a certain way, to do a certain thing, yet chooses to put that down for the benefit of somebody else, for the benefit of that individual, for the benefit of the body of Christ. That's power. And our example of that, again, is Jesus. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Yet we see. We see it in his word. Although he existed in the form of God, he did, he did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. Although all authority in heaven and earth had been given to him, he didn't think, I need to hold on to this. I need to cling this. Instead, he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant. Being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. He didn't cling to the authority and say, I have every right to do this. I'm God. He said, you know what? For your sake, for your benefit, I'm willing to humble myself. Not to please himself. Verse 3, Christ even Christ did not please himself. It wasn't about pleasing himself. It was about pleasing the Father. We talk about, talked about this at the beginning of chapter 12. Our lives should be lived in such a way to please God with everything that we are. That's the living sacrifice idea, that everything is pleasing to him. Guys, there is a difference between being obedient and doing something to please God. Okay, so now we get to the how. <laughs> Notice verse 5. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another. Grant you. It's a gift. God, God gives. God enables that. The literal translation of the beginning is, would, would be better translated, the God of perseverance and encouragement grant you. He's the God of perseverance. He is the God of encouragement. He is the God of patiently enduring. <laughs> he grants it. He gives it. But he chooses how. And let me just tell you, when it comes to endurance, it comes in the form of classwork. 
and it's not an elective class. <laughs> you know the verse, James, 1, James chapter 1, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, when you come across difficulties, when you come across trials, when you come across these things, these immovable mountains, Paul says, or James says, consider it joy, be excited. And he tells us why, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Endurance is produced through trials. And let endurance have its perfect result. Guys, we have to let it happen. <laughs> so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Could I take the liberty to say, so that you may be strong and have the ability to come alongside one, someone without strength? The choice is ours, though. We can go through the trials. We can go through the difficulties. We can complain the whole way. We can come out at the other side, and guess what happens when we do that? we got to retake the class. Got to get to the end of ourselves. Get to the point where we are completely relying on supernatural power. Verse 1. Supernatural power. The God of all perseverance, endurance. The God of encouragement. Another way that word is translated is the God of comfort. He understands. He gets it. He's not asking us to do something again. Remember that he hasn't already done way bigger than we, he's asking us to do. In a way greater degree, he understands. He, it's not that though we have to say, hey, look at me down here. Did you forget? I, 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 and don't get me wrong. God, God desires us to bring, to bring our prayers to him and our petitions to him. But I, if you're anything like me, so often I catch myself praying for five minutes, filling God in on what's going on. I know you're busy. Let me just kind of tell you what's going on right now. Okay. <laughs> he understands. He sees it all. And not only is, the, is he the God of encouragement, the God of comfort. Turn over with me real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Probably only have to get one page to get to 1 Corinthians. Right after that is 2 Corinthians. Right after Romans. Not only is, the, is he the God of comfort, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 tells us he's the God of all comfort. Verse 4, who comforts us in all our afflictions. And notice, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort we, which we ourselves are comforted by God. Does that not go right along with this? <laughs> the comfort that we receive, that he gives to us, and supernaturally we're encouraged and we come up with this. We are now able to come alongside a weaker brother, someone who can't do this now, and God use us to bring them the comfort that they need. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also comfort is abundant through Christ. Yes, he gets it. The suffering is abundant. And again, Psalm 69 will never read the same to me. Suffering there, abundant. But notice, the comfort is abundant. It will match, always, and then some. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. Which is, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Verse 7, and our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. The God of all comfort. The God of all endurance. Again, I say, you know, what if we did this? What if we embraced this? And by the way, it's required in order for us as a body of believers and individually to give God the glory he's due. Notice verse 6 starts with the word so that. <laughs> that means verse 5 is required in order for verse 6 to take place. 
Let, here, now may the God who gives perseverance or the God of perseverance and comfort grant to you to be the same mind with one another, toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord, that is with one mind together, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is how we glorify him. One mind, one voice. After verse five comes verse six. I really appreciated how A.W. Tozer put this in his book, The Pursuit of God. Great book, recommend it. He puts it this way. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos are all tuned to, are all tuned to the same fork? They are automatically all tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. All pianos, 100 pianos, if they're all tuned to the same tuning fork, will all be tuned to one another. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God and strive for closer fellowship. We become closest when we take our eyes off of each other, take our eyes off of ourselves, even quit trying to do it in our own strength, and all of us look to Jesus. That's when we're closest. We can't get closer than that. And it's through that that true worship can take place. Truly glorifying God individually and corporately. Paul says, verse 7, Therefore, because of this, accept one another. Again, not just tolerate. <laughs> accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles and I will sing to your name. Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all of the peoples praise him. Again, Isaiah says, there shall come the, from the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles in him shall the Gentiles hope. Again, therefore, the only reasonable response, the only thing that we should do in this thing is accept one another. Embrace one another. Literally, as we mentioned last week, that means to receive to ourselves one another. And he gives us, again, the example, just as Christ also accepted you. We're to accept each other like Jesus accepts us. One another. Again, going back Everyone, not just the ones that treat us well. Again, everyone, like Jesus, accepted you. Now, we have two, two things if we're not doing that. One, we are either disobedient. Or two, we have no idea how Jesus receives us. I think that's, that's probably more of the case in a lot of instances. We don't, we don't understand what that means to accept one another, receive one another as Jesus receives us. Because we might say, okay, I'll do that. I will receive them unto me as soon as they come to me and repent for what it is that they did. As soon as they do that, we're good. Let me let you in on something, guys. That is not how Jesus receives us. That is how we receive him through repentance. How he receives us? The Bible says while we were yet sinners, he died for us. When we wanted nothing to do with him, he stepped off his throne, became one of us, lived a perfect sinless life, and died in our place. While he's being nailed to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How does he receive us? Just as we are. 
and he loves us too much to leave us that way, praise God. But he accepts us just as we are. That's how we're to accept one another. I know it's hard. Why we got to go back to the how. It's supernatural. God does the work. It says that he became servant to the circumcision. Guys, understand what... What Paul is unfolding for us here is something that we all know, but let's embrace it again in the depths of the truth that it is. The servant to the circumcision, the creator submitted himself to his creation. The lawgiver placed himself under the law. Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Praise the Lord. Praise God. And I love this as we read through. He quotes several scriptures, Old Testament scriptures here from 2 Samuel, from Deuteronomy, from Isaiah, kind of covering the whole gamut saying, it all, guys, it all pointed to Jesus. It all pointed to the unity that he desired, bringing together the Jews and the Gentiles, all people together under him, destroying any differences that we might have. Confirming and establishing under the new covenant. And praise the Lord, it's a new covenant. And he is a faithful covenant-keeping God. Verse 13. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that, you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now that we have all of this settled, guys, (laughs) may the God of all hope fill you with hope, with all hope and peace. God does the filling. Notice what our job is, believing, receiving it, believing that almighty, all-powerful God is doing his job. Hebrews 11.1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith, believing, assured expectation based on the promises of God, the covenant-keeping, always faithful God. That's that's what we're placing our faith in. That's what we're believing, that God's going to do what he said he's going to do, and we simply walk in faith. When we do that, so that. Hope, we abound in hope. I love that word, abound. When we you know, unpack it in the Greek, it means a surplus. It means overflowing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that picture that I have, again, when we're, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're called in Ephesians to be being filled. It's a continual thing, it just keeps on coming. And it can, we can only be filled when we get all of the other junk out of the way, Right? And when, as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, I get this picture of like a, a, a boat with its sails. And when the sails are filled with the wind, the wind then directs and guides the ship where it is to go. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, he guides and directs us. He, we, he says, this is the way, walk in it. Go here, here, these different things. Somebody asked me last night after the service, convicted by the Holy Spirit from the message saying, I have to do something with my dad about this. What should I do? Pray and follow the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. When when I think of a glass filled with with water, you're walking around, it's filled to the brim. You know how it's got that little thing you can almost see? It's just like over the little top. You're walking along with that and you're just so good. What happens when you bump into somebody? You spill it all over them. Filled with the Holy Spirit. We we, We come in contact with one another and we're just spilling all over each other. Joy, peace, hope. By faith, by faith. Well, again, I always think it's it's awesome, and I just love how God just brings things together. We're celebrating communion this morning. And... Again, by faith, when we think of this, we, we mentioned it in the, in the video, the Seder dinner that's coming up. The, 
the celebration that we have, communion, took place at a Passover meal that Jesus had with his disciples. When we go back to the, the first one in Egypt, notice when God gave them, laid this all out for them, the first Passover meal was done in faith. That if they did what God told them to do, that the angel of death would pass over them. Hadn't happened yet. They did it in faith, trusting that God would do what he said he would do if we simply walk in obedience and in faith. And during that Passover meal, there's several cups that are shared. And I encourage you, come to the Seder. If you've never been to one, especially come. Because it's so awesome how all of the elements point to Jesus. But the cup that we share together was the third cup in, in the Passover Seder meal, which is the cup of blessing. We understand, as Paul writes to the Corinthians, that that's the, the cup, that, again, the cup of his blood, the cup, his cup that he gives to us. In that cup, bought with his blood, is unending fellowship with the Father forever because our sins are forgiven and we are born again. Our sins separated us from God, but because our sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus, the fellowship we have now with the Father, with the Son, with the triune God is eternal. It will never be broken because that cup was given to us. There's an exchange of the cups, though, because in order for us to have that cup, he had to take ours. He had to take my cup. In the garden, in Gethsemane, Jesus said, Father, if there's any way that this cup might pass from me, he was referring to the cup of wrath that the Bible speaks of in several places in the Old Testament. The cup of wrath that is due every ungodly person, every unrighteous person must take that cup of wrath and drink it completely. And what that's pointing to is the, is the punishment in hell forever that is, that is coming to everyone who has, who has defied God, all sin falls short of the glory of God. That is the, that is the destiny of everyone unless this exchange takes place. He said, if there's any way that this cup could pass from me, he knew what that meant. And yes, the excruciating pain of being scourged, of being nailed to the cross. But ultimately, what that cup meant was being separated from the Father. Something that he had never experienced in all of eternity. Yet when he went to the cross, he hung on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in a way that we will never understand, praise the Lord. He took our place in that moment. He took our cup. That's what we celebrate. We get the cup of blessing because he took the cup of wrath. He hung on the cross, guys. He said, it is finished. Done. The cup is drained. Now, when he said it is finished, he did not mean that you and I right here today are finished. We're still in process. We're not yet conformed to the image of Christ. We know that that's a guarantee, that that's where we're headed. And that's why we're called as, as Christians, when we, when we come to the table, we're called to examine ourselves. And examining ourselves, again, we, we, we talked already about what it means to, to walk and how we are to walk. But as Christians, it's also the Bible tells us where we are to walk. Real quickly, turn with me. And I know we're running a little short here, but it's important. Turn with me, 1 John chapter 1. Verse 6. It's okay if we run a few minutes long. That just means those that are weaker for second service are just going to have to drive around a little longer for a parking space, but that's okay. You know I'm going to flip that next service, right? Just, just saying. First John chapter 1, verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That term cleanse, used twice there in our text, and the word confess are both in the present active tense as a verb. That means it's ongoing. We talked about how we're to walk in the power of the Spirit. Where we walk, guys, is in the light. And when we walk in the light, it tells us we have fellowship with one another. But when we're doing that, as if we're walking in the light, we're going to see that there's times and there's instances and there's things in our life that still aren't Christ-like. And it just tells us that we're to bring that to him and confess. Say, God, this isn't, this isn't where it should be yet. I want it to be. And he's going to show us, well, this area in your life still needs to be dealt with, this area of pride or this area, whatever it might be. And that's where we deal with it. And that's what confession means. Confession means to say the same thing as, God, I agree with you. I agree with that. So have your way in me. So as we, as we prepare now for, the, for the, our time together, celebrating communion together, the Lord's table together, let's, let's examine ourselves, walk in the light. As we worship together in this, in this last song, and the, uh, the ushers are going to distribute the, the cups here. Make sure you grab both. The bread's in the bottom cup. The juice is in the top cup. Grab both as they go by. But as we're singing, let the Holy Spirit work. And if there's an area he's revealing in your life that you need to, that you need to deal with, deal with it. Confess it. He says when we confess, we're cleansed. He cleanses us. It's an ongoing thing. What are you doing with the grace God has given you? Are you allowing it to change you from the inside out? Are you allowing it to fill to overflowing so that God can say, now you're a full vessel. You're, you're strong in the power of his might. It's not by might, not by power on our own, but by his spirit, the Bible says. Filled with his spirit. He says, okay, now, come alongside that brother or sister. Carry that load for them. Would you please stand? Let's pray. God, you are an amazing God. <laughs> we come to this point again, and we are in awe of you, Jesus. That you would willingly... Joyfully, you said, for the joy set before you. Exchange cups with us. Give us the cup of blessing as you took our cup of wrath. That's what we remember this morning. And Lord, as we worship you for who you are, or would you do a work in our hearts this morning? A work that only you can do because it's supernatural. Lord, would we be those that would walk by faith? trusting that you're going to do what you said you're going to do. And we simply walk. Oh, Lord, what a difference we can make. Yield it to you. If you're here today, you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, I ask you right now, what's stopping you? Simply respond to the Holy Spirit in your heart. It's a matter of surrender. It's a matter of repentance. He has accepted you as you are. His arms are wide open. But you need to receive. You need to receive him. You need to turn from your sin. You need to turn to him. God, we thank you for the work that you do and you continue to do. You are a God who still saves. <laughs> do it today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. 